So we have been going through the book of Mark, and we uh, are at chapter 4 today. We're going to go through verses 1 through 20. So it seems like a lot, but it's, it's a story. And uh, it's the parable of the sower, considered by some to uh, be the foundation for the rest of the parables, because it was just after this that Jesus started to preach and teach mostly in parables. And we'll find out why in just a little bit. Um, but I want to tell you a quick story, and then we're going to pray and get started. So my husband and I, some of you may know that we've been laboring in this backyard project for a long time, and it's taken quite a while to take shape. Um, but last, God, last fall, God graciously uh, provided for sod and a new patio in our backyard, and we had been waiting and praying for years, so that was such a huge gift to us. And uh, after tearing out the old deck, Doug uh, took the wood and he constructed three good-sized planter boxes. And I was really impressed with his craftsmanship and I got excited about the garden that we were um, gonna grow. It was easy for me to envision this beautiful cornucopia of fruits and vegetables. I mean, it was gonna be easy, right? <laughs> I'm not much of a gardener, I'm learning. <laughs> well, fast forward to this April after the heavy winter snow and spring rain, and I looked out into the garden bed, and I noticed there was just a little bit of green popping up in the dirt around the garden beds. Didn't think much about it. But a month later, wow. <laughs> After all that snow and all that rain, one morning I looked out, and there was a multitude of weeds that had just sprung up. It seemed like overnight. Goat's heads, foxtails, crabgrass, and even morning glories. And I don't know about y'all, but even though morning glories have those pretty flowers, I think they're the devil's flower. <laughs> they just come up everywhere through the grass, everywhere. Anyways, they were consuming the area and they were choking out any possibility of something fruitful to grow. So towards the end of May, Doug and I kind of pulled up our bootstraps and we said, okay, we're going to tackle this garden area. So after three hours after working tirelessly in this garden bed area, we had pulled up all the weeds. And we felt like, you know, we worked late into the night, it was dark, we had turned on the patio light and we were gonna finish. And when we did, we, we felt like we were like heroic. We, we felt so great. And then just last week, after cleaning up one more time, we decided to go for it. We got some, um, what is that, weed barrier, and we laid that down. And then we bought some topsoil with some very, very, Beautiful smelling compost. Y'all know what that is, right? My neighbor came across the street like this. What are you doing? And he knew what we were doing. We were just saying, hey, we're planting this garden. Give us a couple of days to, to you know, get it in the garden beds and, and it'll be fine. And we've since put some rocks and we're doing it simply, but we feel so great about it. And then after we got that mixed up, we realized it was good, fertile soil ready for planting. And through all this, the Lord showed me something. Between the dry, hard ground where the weeds grew and choked out all the life, to the fertile soil that we laid down, ready to produce life, it's all in the dirt. All in the dirt. Preparing the soil in our garden and planting seeds is our job, just as preparing the heart of a man or woman to receive the Lord is his job, right? So that's why... Today, I titled my talk, Heart and Soil, It's All in the Dirt. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that we get to be in church today. 
I know it can be a drudgery for some, but really this is just the place to come to worship you in community, to hear the word together in community, to strengthen one another, to pray together, to encourage each other. And we're so grateful to be here today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak the words that you want to speak as opposed to what I want to speak. May it all be you. May you speak to open hearts today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read Mark 4, 1 through 20. You can get out your Bibles if you want to read along. I believe it's maybe behind me or going to be behind me in a sec. Uh, I'm not going to make you read it out loud with me because that's a long way to read. So here we go. Mark 4, 1 through 20. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, he said. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everyone else on the, everything I say to outsiders, excuse me, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, it will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the words, worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Wow, that's a story for the farmers, yeah? So first of all, what is a parable and what did Jesus mean by them, and why did he use them? So, dictionary.com says it this way, a parable is a short allegorical story designed to illustrate or teach some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. It also describes a statement or comment that conveys a meaning indirectly by the use of comparison, analogy, or the like. But really, I like this description best. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus would tell a story that was simple and with characters that were easily relatable, but there was always a deeper spiritual truth that most people could not 
and did not understand. In this particular parable, everyone related to the story about the farmer going out to scatter seed among the different soils. Because in Galilee, where he was teaching, there was a lot of rocky terrain, mountains in the region, and so it was a familiar scenario to them in the story that he was telling. So he tells this simple story of the sower scattering seed, and everyone took it at face value. But let's take a closer look at verse 9. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Well, that seems odd. What more is there to understand? And later, when Jesus was alone with the disciples and others who believed, and when they asked him what the parable meant, before he explained the spiritual truth behind the story, this is what he said in verse 11. Again, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Well, so there is a deeper meaning. I'm sure those alone with Jesus were waiting to hear with bated breath what it meant. What, what was he really saying? But wait, let's go back and take a closer look at the statement Jesus was making, almost as if God had determined that some would not hear, would not understand, and not be forgiven. Did you hear what I said? God had already determined those who would not hear, not understand, or not be forgiven. Wow. How do we wrap our minds around that? And how does that fit in with the loving, gracious God that is so ingrained in our hearts and minds? Well, Jesus' current scripture reference here in verses 11 and 12 in the, in the book of Mark, it's a New Testament book. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament and it's a fulfillment of God's commission to the prophet Isaiah. The Lord told him, go talk to my people. Remind them of their, discontinued disbelief, of their continued disbelief and lack of trust in me and urge them to turn back to me. But instead of this bringing about repentance and humility, it resulted in the Israelites further hardening their hearts against God. Who wants to be the Israelites right now? Time and time again, the Israelites disobeyed the Lord, they sought after idols, and they worshiped false gods. In spite of God's continued provision, protection, and victory in their lives. So as this Old Testament scripture in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 speaks to Israel's continued disbelief and rejection of God, it's the same type of hardened heart that Jesus is referring to here in Mark 12. A consistent stance against God and refusal to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. At some point, the Lord says, and let me reiterate, no man can judge when this is. Only God knows the heart of a person. God says, if you really don't want me in your life, and you really want to do this on your own, if you really keep hardening your heart against me, if you continually stand with a defiant no when I offer you my love, forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life, then I'm going to honor it. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin that Jody talked about a couple of weeks ago. And she did an amazing job talking about that, didn't she? I like the way J.D. Greer puts it. The only unpardonable sin is refusing to let God pardon you. Isn't that good? The only unpardonable sin is refusing to let God pardon you.
And unfortunately, this described the majority of people in Jesus' short three-year ministry. You see, most people flocked to Jesus because they wanted the signs and the wonders, the miracles, the healings. They wanted what he could do for them. Some were a part of the religious leaders that were trying to catch him and something that he might say or do so they could hold it against him later. Their plot was to do away with Jesus, to kill him. They didn't want his brand of religion because it didn't come with works. It came with love, grace, and forgiveness and just repentance of sin. Some came because they wanted to hear an eloquent speech, a good story by the latest and greatest teacher because they would feel enlightened by all the wisdom that they had. Well, Jesus was no ordinary teacher, nor was he necessarily eloquent. What he had to say was deep and cut straight to the heart of a person. The most important life-transforming truth that Jesus came to offer people was himself. He was the gift, and he is the gift, amen? But again, most people wanted what he could do for them and not Jesus himself. Sure, they loved the idea of a savior, but not a king, not someone that they could humble themselves before and call Lord. Very few people believed, and even fewer stuck around. They may have followed him, but a lot of them did not stay the course. For all the times he spoke straightforward about the kingdom of God, calling people to repent and have their sins forgiven, for all the miracles and healings he performed, that he was the Messiah that they were eagerly waiting for. Most people responded with hard hearts and refused to believe. So Jesus began to teach in parables. To the men and women whose hearts were open to the word of God, believed in the truth of the gospel, he gave the right to understand the spiritual truths behind his messages, his simple stories. And to all those with hardened hearts who weren't interested in spiritual truth and the life that he was offering, who time and time rejected the words of Jesus and the forgiveness and life he came to offer, God gave them what, he wanted, what they wanted. He said, okay. And he hardened their hearts and kept them from understanding. Who wants to be in that seat? Not me. So this isn't exactly like it, but it made me think of a little story about my youngest. For those of you who know her, isn't she amazing? <laughs> All of our kids are amazing, but she is, she is um, smart and intuitive and deep thinking and a great sense of humor and lovely. And she has a very hard head. What is that called? Stubborn? And in Jesus' name, that is going to suit her well, empowered by the Holy Spirit as she gets older, right? Amen. But she used to like to turn on the TV or go get my tablet or get my phone and start playing games or watching television without asking. And I'd like, sweetheart, you need to ask mom before you, before you do those things. You can't just automatically assume you can do them. Turns off the TV, turns off my tablet, puts my phone down. Never mind. I'm like, girl, just ask me. All you have to do is ask mommy. Just ask her for permission, and you can do it. No thanks, I don't want to do it anymore. Okay, now, three or four more minutes of this goes on. It's like, okay, girl, I get it. Okay, you don't, you don't want it that bad just to ask, humble yourself and ask me? Okay, you don't have to have it. No TV, no tablet, no phone for uh, the next week. <laughs> Eyes get this big. But, but, 
Now, I know it's not the exact same thing, but I'm talking to the stubbornness and the lack of willingness to humble yourself when something is offered to you. Now she asks me a lot more often, and it's great. I appreciate it. I see that she's growing and maturing. But listen, you guys, God will never reject someone who wants to repent and come to him. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Praise the Lord. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen? But don't misinterpret the heart of God, guys. He desires that all people should know the truth. But people want to argue about how that happens. Some people consider themselves Armenian. Some people over here and consider themselves Calvinists. Look, it doesn't matter. God is in control of all of it. Amen? Okay, whether you believe that he chooses us and predestines us, which he does, he prepares our heart, which he does. But because he is God, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omni-everything, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere at all times. Because of who he is, because he's God and he created us, he knows us. He already knows who are his and who's aren't. He already knows who's going to accept when he says, I am he who you've been waiting for. I am here to forgive your sins. Let me give you life. He already knows. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Who wants to be in that latter half of that scripture? To us who are being saved. You know, it's like he looks at a movie. We watch a movie straight on at the screen and we go frame by frame and we don't know the beginning from the end. God is up here looking and he can see our whole lives from the beginning to the end. And he knows exactly what we're gonna do. He knows exactly what we're gonna say, when we're gonna say, I mean, that blows my mind. If you really think about that, he knows every motive of our heart and he sees the beginning from the end of our lives. And so he already knows his desire is that none of us should perish. And he prepares our heart, but he already knows. So back to the story. After the disciples and those with them who also believed asked for an explanation of his story, Jesus says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Well, apparently this one was pretty important. In the eyes of some scholars, the parable of the sower is the flagship parable. It's important, meaning that it's, been, it's in three gospels, it's in, uh, let's see, Matthew 13, here in Mark 4, and again in Luke 8. This tells me, guys, that Jesus wanted people to get the meaning behind this parable. The spiritual truth, so that they could comprehend the parables afterwards. And this is actually a, a turning point in Jesus' ministry. From that time on, he spoke mostly in parables. And why? Because the majority of the people who came to see Jesus, they didn't want truth they just wanted the show of miracles and healings. They wanted a good story. And that would satisfy them. But those whose hearts were open to the word of God and believed in Jesus and who he said he was, their eyes would be open to comprehend the mystery within the story, the spiritual truth that God wanted to share with them. 
So what is the significance of this particular story, the parable of the sower? Let's dig in and see what Jesus wants us to see, shall we? So the farmer, most commonly referred to as the sower, is a person that takes the word of God or the seed and shares it with others. I just gave it away. Jesus was the original farmer, amen? I call him the master sower. And a lot of times when I pray, I, he's the master everything, right? He's the master physician. He's the master scientist. I don't know why people try to, try to separate science from God. He's the one that is the master scientist, amen? He created science. He's the ultimate physicist, right, Pete? <laughs> so he's the master sower. And subsequently... Those of us who are Christ's followers, we're called to follow and imitate Christ. And therefore, we too are the sowers. Most of us are familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But I also love what Mark 16, 15 directly relates to us as the sower. It says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Pretty straightforward, yeah? It's what he calls each and every one of us to do. And the seed, which I gave away earlier, is the word of God. It's the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. No other way, guys. No other way to get to heaven but through Jesus and him crucified, rising the third day from the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. Our behalf. Amen. Yeah, let's give him a... Yeah, all right. He deserves our praise for that. He deserves honor and glory and blessing because there's no other God but him. The most famous verse in America is John 3, 16. If it's, if it's difficult for you to, to share the Lord, just remember this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Best news of all time, right? So let's look at the soils. They refer to the four different responses based on the condition of one's heart. Thus, heart and soil. Do you guys remember that song? Heart and soul. Am I the only one? (laughs) I'm old, I guess. Remember on the piano? Heart and soul. Okay. Anyway, so heart and soil. I was, was a little take on that. Guess I was the only one that got that. Okay. So, when the seed is scattered onto the path and the birds immediately come and eat it, this refers to the person whose heart is hardened by sin and not open to the things of God or the truth of his word. And Satan is right there to snatch it away. You guys, the devil does not want any of us to come to Jesus. His fate is sealed. His fate is sealed. He wants to take everybody he can with him. He's already got people going with them. They're not people. They're spirits. They're demons. They're authorities and rulers of this evil age. Wicked hosts in high places. They already know where they're going. They don't want to go alone. But some people don't want to think about the implications of what that is. Descriptions of a lake of fire, gnashing of teeth, etc. No one wants to think about hell. But think about it this way, you guys. It is an eternity without love, without peace, without hope, without friendship, without laughter, without every good thing that you could ever imagine. That's what eternity without God is like. 
I don't want to go there. Do you? So yes, the enemy will do whatever it takes to keep people from allowing the word of God to take root in their hearts. So if the heart is hard, he's right there and he snatches the word to keep it from going into the heart. Secondly, the seed that falls into shallow, rocky soil is talking about a person who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with gladness. They're excited. The word takes root in their hearts, but only on the surface. And when hard times come or persecution comes, their Christianity is just gone as fast as it came. Oftentimes a person will feel like they want a relationship with Christ based on the fact that they get their sins forgiven and the thought of eternal life. It's a relief for them. But their faith is tested in the face of trials or unmet expectations, and oftentimes it fades fast. We all know people like that, don't we? Our hearts break when we lead someone to the Lord, and then they're gone in a week. But that's okay. God is, God is able and God is good. Now, the seed that falls in the soil with thorns, again, that seed falls into the dirt, and it takes root and begins to grow. But this represents the person who allows the word of God to take hold in their heart, and they even, it even starts to grow and mature. But in time, the worries of this world, the love of riches and material things, or the addictions that they don't want to let go of, they choke out their desire for the things of God. These things hold too great a place in the person's heart for them to stay the course with Jesus. Matthew 6.21, the New King James Version says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Most of us know that one in here. I like the way the Passion Translation says it. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Is that true? If you think about your own life, is that true? Your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. It's something to really think about and pray about and see if your heart is pursuing the things that God would want you to pursue. I'm not, th- I'm not talking good works. I'm talking about the things that bring you life and peace and joy by the power of his Holy Spirit. Finally, there's a rich, fertile soil where the seed is scattered on. It grows and it's well-nurtured. This is the picture, picture of the person that believes God. They believe it when they hear the word of God. They receive it with gladness, gratitude, repentance. He or she has a heart that's wide open to the truth of who Jesus says he is and fully accepts him as Savior and Lord. And like the seed in the story, the person's life produces fruit 30, 60, or 100-fold. Who wants to be that person? I know I do. Amen. You know, I remember the first time I prayed with someone to receive Jesus. It was probably the most exciting thing that had happened to me in my life at that point. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was great. I mean, I hadn't been married, hadn't had kids yet. Um, and, And really, that sort of part of why we're here, right? It's what we Christians live for. One of the things we live for, right, is to introduce others to Jesus's love, grace, and forgiveness. And when it happens, we rejoice. We're so, we're so thankful. We're like walking around like this, thanking the Lord. And for over the last 30 years or so, I've, I've prayed for dozens and dozens and dozens of people to receive Jesus, and I've walked with some of them. But the truth is, they don't all stick around, guys. There were times I'd get discouraged and sometimes I'd think it was something I had done or I wasn't praying enough or I wasn't discipling them correctly, on and on. 
But then God showed me something that gave me a paradigm shift in my thinking, and it helped me with my approach. First of all, it wasn't about me at all. <laughs> Isn't that right? It's not about us. We're, this, we're just there to obey and to talk to people, to scatter the seed. We tend to think that we're the ones that cause people to grow. We're the ones that cause people to mature. We're the ones that, you know, when they see victory in their life, we have a small part in that. But really, who is it? It's the Holy Spirit of God, right? It's God himself that grows. We're just called to be obedient to tell them about Jesus. So that was the first thing he taught me. The second thing is boldness is good, but love is better. Amen? Love is the key. As we allow God's love to continually change us, we can authentically love whoever he brings into our lives. And that's not easy, is it? Can we think of that coworker or that brother-in-law or that mother-in-law or the person we work with? There's some people that are difficult to love, aren't they? But as we allow God to love us the way he loves us, authentically and unconditionally, he strengthens us so that we can do the same for others. Bottom line, the seed just needs to be sown because the word of God stands on its own merit to be the truth that the world is searching for, that people are literally dying for. So what makes the difference whether a person accepts Jesus or not, whether they stay for a minute or they stay the course? It's the condition of one's heart. And that's only something we can trust God with. He is the one who draws mankind and prepares them for salvation. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's our job to scatter the seed as we can. So a quick story before we end. Um, shortly after we moved here, I found this hair college. Anybody knows, know what those are? Hair colleges? <laughs> Well, they're very inexpensive to get your hair done, and that's where I found one. Neither Doug nor I had a job when we first got here, um, and uh, so I found a place that was inexpensive, and I fell in love with all the gals that did my hair, and guys, there were a couple of guys, and I just, you know, the Lord just gave me such a deep love for them, and it wasn't long before they knew why we had come to Utah, and, you know, what my beliefs were, where, where my faith lied, and there was this one gal in particular named Tiffany. And she was open, loved to chat with me. We talked about life, and it always, always came back to the Lord somehow. But um, she wasn't quite ready, but we had a great relationship. And, and then one day she came to me and said, you know, uh, my family and I, are, we're going to be moving back to Virginia. And so I just wanted to let you know. And I felt like the Lord said, give her, give her your Bible. Like my Bible. <laughs> but that's okay. I trusted him and I gave her my Bible the day that she the last day that she was at the um, hair college. We prayed together and we hugged and we cried a little bit and you know, we said goodbye. Seven years later, my phone rings, my cell phone rings, and I pick it up. It's like, hello, hello? Do you remember me? This is Tiffany. I'm like, Tiffany. Tiffany, she goes, you gave me your Bible at the, at the hair college. I'm like, yes. She goes, guess what? I read the Bible and I accepted Jesus. And my family and I are now going to the church where my parents go. Woo, yeah. <laughs> I was doing a happy dance. I mean, she couldn't see it, but I, <laughs> I was in my kitchen just like my legs were going up and down. I was so excited. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. 
if we're just faithful to scatter the seed, God is going to prepare the hearts of people as he wishes. And now she and her husband, I think they're assisting pastors at uh, their parents' church in, in Virginia. He alone is the one who draws the soul and prepares the human heart. So let me say something, guys. I don't know, I can't even see most of you, but I don't know where each of y'all are at today. But if you're sitting here today in this house, the seed has been scattered in the soil of your heart. The word of God, the gospel has been presented to you. There's no time like the present. You won't get to do this day over again. And that's not meant to scare you. Does that mean you won't get a chance to respond in the future? No. We read that in 1 Timothy and 2 Peter. But the question is, why wait? Why wait? God is here right now, sowing the seed of salvation in your hearts. Some of y'all might say, well, gosh, Kutle, you said it's only God who prepares the heart and I don't feel like my heart's ready today. Again, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're sitting here today, you are ready. Can I tell you that? Your heart is ready because you're hearing God's call to you right now. He's offering his love. He's offering his forgiveness. He died on the cross for you, for those sins. He paid a huge price that you and I deserved. That you and I deserved. Someone at the connection said it like this. He truly sees us, but he willingly died for us. He willingly chose us, even though he sees us for who we are. And though we deserve nothing, he gives us everything. Everything. So I don't, again, I don't know where each of you are at. But if you've never received the Lord, I encourage you with all the love and boldness that I can say today. It is your day. It is your time. Salvation is here. And family, I just want to encourage each of you to just take an examination. Look at where your heart is right now. We go through seasons of life, don't we? We go through seasons on the mountaintop. We go through seasons in the valley. We have disappointments. We have loved loved ones taken away from us unexpectedly. We have hurts. We have wounds. Sometimes that changes our hearts, doesn't it? The temperature of the soil. So I would just encourage you today to to take inventory of where your heart's at. Talk to the Lord about it. He'll show you. He's faithful because he loves you. And he wants that heart of yours to stay in a fertile, rich place. All right, let's pray. Thanks, you guys. Ah, Father God, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you love us unconditionally, no strings attached, that you see us, you see who we really are, and yet you choose us. You forgive us. And you have relationship with us. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch anyone here today I believe there are a couple of you here today that have not made that decision. Don't wait. God loves you. He's calling you. He wants you to walk with him. He has so much in store for you. 
He wants to heal you. He wants to bring you peace. And he has a great future in store for you. It's not an easy life walking with Jesus, but it's a life of peace, knowing that he's got our back at all times, knowing where we're going to go when this is all said and done, when our lives are done. We still have an eternity with Jesus. If you're here today and don't know the Lord, just pray along with me. Dear Lord, thank you that you know me and that you love me and that you see me. I've heard today that you died on the cross for my sins, Jesus, and you've forgiven them and you've wiped them all away and that you rose on the third day and have given me life and life eternally. I want to accept that, Jesus, in my life. And so I ask right now that you would come and be Lord of my life. I'm scared. I don't know what's next. I don't know how to do this on my own, but I'm going to trust you because I heard that you are good and you are faithful and you are kind and you are loving and you are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. So I'm going to put my faith in you today. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.